Welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and then scoring it against a predefined table of criteria that Garen and I arbitrarily came up with. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hello again everyone, my name is Dan. And I'm Garen, and this week we are super excited to be joined by an extremely prominent and influential member of the D&D community. You may know him from his popular World Builder blog, or maybe as the author of countless great D&D supplements on DMs Guild, including the brand new Electrum best-selling Eberron adventure Encounters in Sharn, which went copper in less than five hours. To top all that off, James is the host of an extremely successful podcast that is a staple in my library, Tabletop Babble. And if none of that rings a bell for any of you, you're living in the underdark, is what I'm thinking. Uh, but James is also a contributing author for the new official campaign from Wizards of the Coast, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which is due out September 18th. James, that is one hell of a resume. We are a huge, huge, huge fan of yours, and we're elated to have you here. Thank you so much for playing with us today. Thank you so much for having with me. I'm a big fan of yours. This is an amazing podcast. And uh, currently, I just want to state this before we begin the episode, because it may not be true at the end. I am currently undefeated in D&D Character Lab. So I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. It's very intimidating. I know I'm speaking only for myself here because Garen gets called smart all the time, but that was definitely the first time anyone has publicly called me smart. So I will take that to the bank. <laughs> Well, we're going to need it, guys, because this week we decided on a theme for our character builds around urban intrigue in honor of Dragon Heist. It's coming out in just a few weeks. Now, Dan and I made a character with the help of our fans that showed up for our event on July 28th over at Smash Comics and Games in Sanford, Florida. Uh, they can be heard welcoming you all to the D&D Character Lab at the beginning of this episode. Thank you to all of you that came out to help make that possible. Even on a rainy night, we had a great turnout, and they helped us make a really fun character James, is there anything you can divulge as we're moving into Waterdeep, possibly in this episode, about the Urban Heist campaign for listeners before it comes out? So there's a lot that's already out that I can talk about. You know, the fact that it is an urban adventure for levels one through five, and it takes place in different seasons in Waterdeep. You pick a season, there is a main villain that goes along with it, so it's modular, and you can play it over and over again a couple of different times. There are some really cool villains associated with it. I think people know who the Xanathar is, thanks to the Xanathar's Guide. People might know Jarlaxle. He's a sometimes adversary, sometimes ally of Drizdor. Erden, very famous drow in the Forgotten mm -hmm. Realms. Manshoon uh, is a possible villain as well. He's a, an Elminster adversary uh, who's now showing up. So, and a new set of villains called the Castellanters, uh, who are some nobles. All of their motivations are very different, and all of them have some very fun henchmen's and things that are happening cool. and that i think is all i can say without breaking my nda at this point um, <laughs> but it is uh it's a super super fun adventure that came from the minds of a bunch of other people uh and i got to write with a guy named james hake who is also a super he's like 
you know, 22 and he writes for D&D Beyond and he writes for Cobalt Press and is amazing. So you should check it out. It's a, it's going to be a really, really fun thing and it leads right into Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is coming out. Yeah, yeah that, yeah. that sounds absolutely awesome. And I know that Garen and I will be purchasing that campaign and then forcing someone to run it or someone to play with us, uh, which is usually how things go. Even if it's uh, Garen's son and daughter, we will make it work. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I hope you guys have a blast. And I hope anybody out there who picks up the adventure, I hope that uh, we do you proud because... God, there were some amazing adventures that have already come out of uh, Wizards of the Coast. So it was like, oh, cool. Everybody really likes everything you've done. We hope we're not the people who screw that up for you. And then uh, if you want to go ahead and just give us a little insight on what, uh, what our listeners can expect from Encounters of Sharn, we'd love to hear about that as well. Sure, yeah. So Encounters in Sharn is a bunch of mini-adventures. It's a dozen mini-adventures from a bunch of different guild adepts. Uh, Will Doyle, Sean Merwin, Greg Marks, Alan Patrick, and Ashley Warren and Travis Woodall all contributed to it. A guy named Rich Lescaflair, who's also an adept, did the layout, which is amazing. And essentially, there are all these mini-adventures that can happen in the city of Sharn, which is sort of like the water deep in Eberron, right? It's like the New York City. It's this big city that keeps going vertical. It goes up and up and up and up because it's built in this valley. So it has finite borders sort of as far as its width goes. It's in what's called a manifest zone, which in Eberron is there's like it overlaps with the plane of air and the the border between the two planes is very thin so flying is a lot easier there in sharn oh, this, um, this is very cool <laughs> yes, that. yeah i love that setting <laughs> and so there's a lot of there's airships there are multiple chases through uh, multiple heights if you think i can't believe i'm making this reference but if you think the scene on coruscant in attack of the clones when obi-wan is chasing down uh jango fett i think is what's going on there i don't know attack of the clones is bad but that scene is great <laughs> and so if you think that scene there's a lot of that going on there's a lot of noir kind of stuff stumbling upon bodies and then suddenly finding yourself embroiled in a much deeper mystery um so there's a lot of things like that going on i wrote one in uh, mini adventure for it and then i edited the whole thing and and sort of helped guide it through the process james you are a busy busy man and there is a <laughs> lot of great content for our listeners to check out please be sure to look up james intracasso on DMs Guild, as well as a multitude of other places that you can find his work, including his World Builder blog and his website. Now, James, because you're our guest, I would like to offer you the floor to tell us about your character this week that is themed around urban intrigue. Oh, sure. Well, thank you so much for having with me. And I do want to say... Y'all are masters at this. So it was a little intimidating because I've built a lot of like monsters and I, I'm always running games, right? I'm always running. So I was like, oh man, build a character. This is going to be rough. But I got real into it and it was super, super fun. So my character's name is Yubnub. <laughs> Yubnub was actually born in the streets of Eberron's city of Towers, Sharn. They are a changeling that presents as a male half-elf named Karanthar Bolomir the Bolt. In the vast multicultural landscape of this free city, they use their natural talent for shapeshifting and magic to create illusionary threats, which Yubnub then defeated as their alter ego, Karanthir the Bold. Uh, soon, they became known as a mighty warrior who would defeat bandits, thugs, and monsters who managed to get by Sharn's corrupt city watch. 
This eventually became true as he became known as this vigilante warrior. Caranthir was called upon to deal with actual threats. And so, not one to turn down a chance at fame, eventually Yubnub was defeating these actual monsters. Yubnub's life changed forever when Caranthir was awarded the Sword of the City. I made this up. This isn't actually part of Everumble. <laughs> it was an honor given to heroes after he helped defend the place that was attacked by the insurgent leader known as the Lord of Blades. This magic weapon was intelligent and immediately saw Yubnub for what they were. Yubnub appreciated being able to bring their true self to this sword and share their real self instead of their vigilante persona. The Sword of the City and Yubnub created a pact to continue to fight the forces that threatened the city as long as it kept them both famous. Yubnub is a changeling lore bard 8 Hexblade Warlock 2. Uh, nice. So that is Yubnub. Oh, fantastic. I like the idea of a sword to the city instead of the key to the city. I think that's something I'd like to institute in our life. <laughs> yeah, that would be really cool if you got like some ceremonial sword that you could hang above the mantle and be like, that's because I was a member of Knights of Columbus for so long or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Norway, when you graduate college or, or if you get your PhD or something, they give you a sword. There's something I, I heard something about that. Really? Oh yes. My gosh. Aspirations in our life. Garen also has a plus eight to deception checks. <laughs> Why would I lie about swords? It sounds way cooler than like your diploma. On the wall, yes. Honestly, it's, you wouldn't uh, show would your diploma to people. That. Yeah, and when people are like, "Can you, you know, mail me your transcript?" You just send them your sword. <laughs> Awesome. Make sure there's a little bit of blood on it too, yeah. <laughs> right. <I> like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Garen, why don't you show us why don't you show the listeners our sword this week and uh, introduce the <laughs> listeners to our character? Oh boy. It would be my honor. With the help of our friends at Smash Comics, we have come up with Jethro Sweetsbud. Spending all of his childhood and young adult years in one of the many elven fortified farms northeast of Succumber, Jethro Sweetsbud worked as a farmer in less than ideal circumstances, as the territory that he and his fellow swamp elves harvested was just that, swamp. Jethro learned the ways of nature growing up as a member of a long line of druidic swamp elves. The main source of sustenance in this stinky town was potatoes. They grew quite well in these parts, and the swamp elves concocted many interesting recipes to keep things new and exciting for their palates. Jethro needed something more out of life, though. He became rather depressed and looked for an escape from his thoughts after a hard day's work. He began fermenting his potato crop that he was now able to grow in a matter of seconds thanks to his magical farming abilities to make moonshine. Jethro refined his product and drank it regularly himself. It had profound psychological effects. For instance, one night Jethro was visited by Axomama, goddess of potatoes. Axomama and Jethro had extensive spiritual conversations about potatoes and how they could be used for the greater good. Axomama said that whenever Jethro needed her, he could call on her. She even said that she would protect him should anyone ever try to do him harm, given all the work he'd done on behalf of potatoes. Well, Jethro shared his distilled wonder with the town. It was a total hit. So much so that Jethro's aunt, Mama Jolene, a resident of Waterdeep and proprietor of Sweet Potatoes, the famous bar, brothel, and farmer's market in town, had caught wind of the concoction and had requested regular orders to be shipped to her establishment because her patrons just loved it. One patron was the lead guard of Xanathar's underground lair in Waterdeep. He loved the concoction and brought some back to the crime lord. Xanathar was immediately affixed by the first sip. He wanted in on the production of this compound. He wanted to be known as Beholder's Brew. He demanded that his guards find whoever responsible for the production of the moonshine, kidnap them, and bring them to his lair to brew on his behalf. The guards did it. 
It did not take long for them to bring back Jethro, bring him to Waterdeep. He was forced to brew day and night, but Jethro knew that the moonshine would not be the same as when he brewed it back home, as the swamp gases were what gave such profound psychological effects. You gotta have the secret ingredient. He also imbued a bit of his own magic granted to him by Exomama to ensure the consistency from batch to batch. Luckily, Xanathar had not yet caught on that the moonshine was not the same kick, as he was mainly concentrated on its production and distribution under its new label, a lot of semantics. Knowing that this evil crime lord would never release him, Jethro inscribed a message in Druidic in the inside label of a bottle of potato moonshine, relay of SOS of sorts to his aunt to send help. This combined with magic granted from his Druidic background, and that which granted him by Axomama, gives Jethro great hope that he will one day escape. So, <laughs> man, I have never read a Dan backstory, and that was that was a journey. You know what? I can write a real a real humdinger. <laughs> so, that's great. <laughs> so Jethro Sweet Spud is a sea elf that's been reskinned as a swamp elf thanks to our friends over at Smash Comics yesterday. He's a uh, level five druid of the land swamp, obviously. Level five warlock of the great old one pact and this week we are featuring a background off of dm's guild written by aaron lewis entitled urban terrain and ex-prisoner background this supplement is two pages for a buck and offers a new urban subterrain which is prison and the ex-prisoner background which jethro will be copying this week nice that's awesome so far i think either one of these builds would fare well in Waterdeep. but uh speaking of Waterdeep, do you guys know what my favorite merchant is over there What's that? Cantrip candles. Along with being wizards, they're also purveyors of 100% soy-based candles that are specifically designed to accompany your tabletop adventures in games like D&D and Pathfinder. They have a great selection of scents that smell like different locations in a fantasy world, musty taverns, libraries full of arcane texts, or how about their brand new scent, Scarborough Fair. Nothing immerses you into an open-air market atmosphere quite like this candle with its spicy notes of, well, what else? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. But to be fair, their scents are so diverse and full of potential that you can find a scent to fit your adventure, any of your adventure settings in their sampler pack for just $11 plus shipping. Once you decide you want to buy every single one of them, we're happy to announce that you now can and the lab will help cover some of the costs. When you use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, all caps, all one word, at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your total purchase. Be sure to check them out. That's Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell Cantrip, you're probably not one of the arcane classes in D&D. <laughs> yes, I, I have heard of them. They're located next to Xanathar's shitty moonshine. Uh, but thank you, Dan and Cantrip Candles, for the message. Now, without further ado, James, would you please tell us how, I believe it was Yub Dub, does in the melee category. Yes, yeah, yub-nub, yub-nub. Uh, like the old, Yeah, like the old Ewok saying, yub-nub. <laughs> so I am arguing uh, right out of the gate here, I'm arguing for a plus one in melee damage. I know what you're thinking, Ooh. right? It's a bard, it's a warlock. Where's that coming from? Well, I'm a hexblade. I've used my charisma for attack and damage. So I've got a plus nine to hit with my sword of the city, and it does 1d8 plus five. That's okay. That's okay. But then with the Hexblade's curse, I do an extra four damage. Not to mention that the Sword of the City, I mean, it's not just a regular sword, you guys. I'm already cheating. It's a dancing weapon. Okay? <laughs> so I can be using it to attack while I'm attacking with my other sword, which also does the same amount of damage. So right there, we've got that going out the gate. Now, I don't know how much magic is going to factor into this yet, but there is green flame 
Flame Blade and Booming Blade, which allow you to make an attack while also casting a spell. Plus, you know, I've got that extra crit range with my hex, so I'll crit on a 19 or 20. So that's what we're looking at. That's how I am arguing for a plus one uh, right here out of the gate. I love that magic sword. I love that. That's but what awesome. kind of dance is it doing? It's definitely the cha-cha slide, uh, like a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, so this yeah. this sword to the city is somewhat dated. I mean, it's noticeably yeah. dated. <laughs> definitely. De- and it's like always it's, down for a wedding. <laughs> yeah, it has the voice of like a fifty-year-old dad. It's constantly like encouraging people to eat and drink and like get up and dance and then making terrible puns. It's a, it's a dad joke sort of the city, for sure. I love this sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy plus one. I'm not arguing that. He painted a, a wonderful picture with that. I, I will save my arguments for later categories. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So I appreciate it. So that's on the board. That. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me tell you about Jethro's melee. He is coming in pretty low. He's got we're, we're arguing a minus one because he's got a dagger with plus six to hit. We've reskinned that as a prison shank. So it is 1d4 plus 2 piercing damage. He's also got a scimitar, which is reskinned as a brewer's paddle. We got a lot of reskin going on here, which Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. 1d6 plus 2 damage with a plus 6 to hit. Also, man, now that I've said it out loud, I feel like we could at least ask for a 0 because we do have a variety of these improvised weapons. For the reskinning alone... Uh, I think you, you, it brings it up to plus zero. The fact that there's a prison shank involved is great. So I am 100% uh, on board uh, with this plus zero. You'll hear no argument from me on this. Nice I'm civil open round. A civil okay. open round because I'm winning. That's why. That's, why. <laughs> That's wonderful that you give us a zero because here I'm arguing a minus one for ranged. Unfortunately, Jethro only has the magic stone spell, which deals out 1d6 plus one, which is charisma modifier. That is all we have for ranged combat. Better than nothing. Yeah, definitely better better than a minus two. So I, I think the minus one works. For ranged, I'm arguing a plus zero because I've got the long bow, uh, which I can also use as a hex blade. I become proficient with all martial weapons. Plus, I still got that dancing weapon, but that felt a little like cheating to be like, it's all the same stuff again. Um, so that's why I'm going plus zero instead of plus one. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. I can't well, argue I, with it. No, no, no. It's it's got it's more it's more than we got. It got the longbow. That's that's fine with me. That's a true ranged weapon. Yeah. No. Nice. Excellent. So James, oh, why don't you go ahead and move us into the burninating category? How does Yubnub do in magic damage dealing? All right, so this is where we get into, I think, this is where we're going to start having it, right? I'm arguing for a plus two in burninating. I know. I know what you're thinking, right? He's a bard. Well, guess what? He's also a Hexblade Warlock. So I got that Eldritch Blast with the Agonizing Blast. Got that Green Flame Blade, that Booming Blade, that Vicious Mockery, which does a little bit of damage. Plus, I've got the Hex Spell, as well as the Hexblade's Curse, because the Hexblade's Curse, not only does it apply to your weapon attacks, it also applies to any attack. So that includes Eldritch Blast. Then I've got Dissonant Whispers, which is great on two accounts because not only does it do psychic damage, it makes your enemies run away from you, which gives you a free opportunity attack. Plus I got that Heat Metal, which is just a a great damage dealing spell. And because I'm a lore bard, I also took Fireball. So yeah, yeah. So that I'm arguing for a plus two in Burninating uh, because that's what I'm built to do, baby. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) 
All right, Yubnub is here to fry you up to a crisp and then serve you up to his Ewok buddies. That's how Yubnub rolls. <laughs> Garen, what do you think? That might be how Yubnub rolls, but we should see how James rolls. What do you think? I think this is definitely a roll because I was going to argue that while he had great combos going on there and a variety of spells, there wasn't any real raw power. And then he busted out the fireball, which, yes, <laughs> that pushes me to... He's got a roll on this one because he also said this is what he's here for, so I'm thinking this is one of his strongest categories. Ah, all right. So now I'm going to add my charisma mod to this. Yubnub's charisma mod, right? Not mine. That's, cor that's correct. Much, so you want to get a modified 17. Modified 17. All right, here we go. So I've rolled a 19. I'm just going to move my webcam. Oh. Boom. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is a 19. Verified <laughs> in the lab. <laughs> so with my plus five modifier, that's a 24. I think that does it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that might be one go. of the highest rolls in lab history, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, we'll see it. how I do in the balance category later. So I get to keep that plus two then. That's how that works? Absolutely. Okay. No arguments. Excellent. All right, so we are arguing a plus one in burdenating. We are just starting to get cooking. We are first going to start off with Primal Savagery, which is a fun spell that we don't really think we talked about on the show before, where you channel the primal magic to cause your teeth and fingernails to sharpen, make a melee spell attack against one creature within five feet. On hit, the target will take 2d10 acid damage, and after you make attack, your fingernails return to normal. We have mm -hmm. got Thunder Wave. We have Acid Arrow, Dissonant Whispers, Mind Spike, Hex, and Maddening Hex. As a bonus action, you cause psychic disturbance in the target caused by your hex spell. So the psychic damage equals your charisma modifier, which is a one for Jethro, but it's still adding a little bit of combo damage. So this is coming in under your list, though. So I think this is easily a plus one. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, it's hard to argue, especially since you use some of the same arguments I did. So without yes. invalidating myself, I will accept your plus one. <laughs> He's got a good wisdom modifier, Garen. James, I don't know how familiar you are with this next part, but this is control, and so Dan's oh. going to take it here, and I think if you want to go get a drink or something now, I think he's about to go into a list. <laughs> Listen up here. We're arguing a plus two. Jethro is so controlling, lots of psychic magic here, and we are theming this as psychotropic effects from the ability to release not only swamp gas from this swamp elf at will, but also the ability to make some crazy-ass moonshine that causes some psychotropic effects. We have Stinking Cloud, that stanky, stanky swamp gas, Hypnotic Pattern, Mold Earth, Charm Person, and those prison guards just love Jethro. They don't call him Sweet Spud for nothing. That Charm Person <laughs> is so, so effective. Create or Destroy Water, which is used for brewing purposes because prison water is nasty. Detect Poison and Disease, and he uses that to verify that whatever is going, whatever he's brewing has the intended consequence. Fog Cloud, Darkness, Plant Growth for expedient potato harvesting. Water Breathing, Water Walk. Friends, Hideous Laughter, Detect Thoughts. He also has the Awakened Mind feature of the Great Old One, Wardlock, which allows you to telepathically speak to any creature he can see within 30 feet of him. They don't need to share a language, which is pretty sweet, but the creature must be able to understand at least one language, so unfortunately you won't be able to talk to that blade of grass. He also has a Potato Lord patron, proficiency in stealth and navigation in prisons, thanks to that ex-prisoner background. And then we also took the Keen Mind Feet, which pretty much allows him to know his way around and then remember everything that he's seen or heard in the past month. And he has proficiency in survival and nature checks, so we know that once he breaks out of jail, he knows how to survive. I think that's a plus two. What do you think? Whew. I think you will find out when you roll for it if this is a plus two. That's what I think. Oh. Boom. 
All right, Garen, you have the lucky dice. Why don't you go go ahead and do the honors? You're putting a lot of trust in me because if I remember our last several episodes, (laughs) I've been rolling some rocks. Well, I just want someone to blame when we don't get it. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right, right on. I rolled a four. So I think that gets it, right? (laughs) It's it's really close. (laughs) It's golf rules. We're playing by golf rules today. So, yeah. Which would be a 16. So we will take our plus one on control. Nice, nice. How controlling is Yubnub? So, you know, Yubnub's pretty controlling. I was going to argue for a plus two, but I don't know that I have quite the control that you all do. So I'm going to argue for a plus one here because we've got a lot of the same things. Uh, so, you know, I'll start with the spells because we've got a lot of the same thing going on in order from cantrip to higher levels. I've got your minor illusion, your prestigitation, your charm person, your silent image, your Tasha's, your suggestion, your hypnotic pattern, your major image, your greater invisibility, and your polymorph. Because, you know, it's fun to turn into a T-Rex and it's fun to turn your enemies into sheep. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) I've got from being a changeling, change appearance, and the unsettling visage feature, which unsettling visage is pretty cool once per short rest. When a creature you can see makes an attack roll against you, you can use a reaction to impose disadvantage on the roll. So that's kind of a thing that I just make my face real ugly and scary. Because I picture Yum Numb as kind of a vigilante, I think it takes on like a weird Batman when he's under the effects of Scarecrow's uh, gas appearance. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Then I've got Repelling Blast, which lets me move enemies all around the battlefield. And finally, I've got Cutting Words, uh, which means I can use my Bardic Inspiration not just to help my allies, but also to hinder enemies and make them take penalties to their attack rolls, their damage rolls, and my personal favorite, their ability checks, because it lets me uh, move them down in an initiative, uh, which I think is really clutch uh, and is, is great fun. So I'm arguing for a plus one there in control. Man, I love features that change initiative. That is such a game changer. I mean, to put it plainly. Yeah, it really uh, is. Dan, I'm not going to argue him down to a zero on this no, one. No, no. No argument here. No, he's got here. so much going on here. That's a, that's a yeah. lot of great control. Arguably a little bit better control than us, but I'm not going <laughs> to not gonna, not gonna boost him a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. plus one. Great, great, great. <laughs> Die. I knew I should have gone for that plus two. All right. All right. Let's see. What, what do we got here? What's next, gentlemen? What's your, next? Your tankiness. How, how tough? Is Yubnub. Oh, tankiness. Now, again, this is another place where Yubnub deceptively shines. So I'm arguing for a plus one. And now I'm realizing that I've inflated the value of the plus one here, and I'm a little nervous. <laughs> that happens but... to us all the time, and we just lie. <laughs> so listen, Yubnub, let's just start it out. He's got an AC of 19. That's without any sort of magic hijinks, because oh, no. he's he's got medium armor proficiency and shield proficiency from being a hexblade. So he can wear that sweet, sweet half plate. He's got plus two to his decks, and he's got a shield going on. That brings him up to 19. He's got a con of 16, which means he's got a respectable 110 hit points at this level. Plus, he knows the shield spell, so he can raise his AC, which he gets to do a lot because his warlock packed spell slots, he's got two of them, which means he gets to recharge those during a short rest. Plus, he's got his four bard level one spots, so he can be shielding left and right during battles. Not to mention, uh, he's got the aforementioned booming blade, uh, which helps him lock people down and sort of keep them around him because if you hit somebody with booming blade and then they move, they take thunder damage. So I'm arguing for a plus one in tankiness. 
Damn. Oh, okay. this weakens our argument so much. I know, I know. I was really hoping that you were really going to start to talk about a zero, and then you started with, well, he's got an AC of 19, and I'm like, well, we're screwed. 110 hit points, screwed. Yep. Let's see how this shapes out. Before we argue what you're going to get, I will say that we also have written down a plus one, and here is our mm-hmm. argument. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Uh, we start with an AC of 13. We have a very realistic 90 hit points. Mm-hmm. Now... Jethro is wearing leather armor, but this is another reskin where it's actually a bedroll that he keeps under his prison clothes. And he plays it off by asking for extra food, so they just think he's putting on weight. <laughs> and then we've got bark, spin, bark skin, which boosts AC to 16. And we can wild shape, which is obviously a very tanky option. Very so tanky I think that our argument is really hinging on this druidic wild shape. But man, you got the shield, but you don't have really have any healing spells, which would be helpful. So I still feel like we're we're falling a little behind on this one, though. Yeah. Oh, do healing spells count? Because I do have healing word and aura of vitality as well. <laughs> I was saving those <laughs> for ally assist. So, you know, it's interesting, gentlemen. If you were circle of the moon, I might buy the, the tankiness option. But what are you going to do? Become a wolf? I mean, that's Sw- not really that wolf. tanky. We've been fe- we have featured wolf. a swamp wolf on, on this show before. And I will stand by the swamp wolf. <laughs> they are mean, vicious creatures. You know, I think by your own admission, you're going to take a plus zero in this one. I think that's... <laughs> yeah, very, uh... very fair. <laughs> All right. Well, we are obviously kicking ass on the scorecard. We're keeping score over here, guys. <laughs> so before we get into the ally assist category, we'd love to tell our listeners how they can get a plus two in ally assist and help the D&D Character Lab. While we have this wonderful creator on our show, I see no better time to request of you lab rats to purchase one of the innumerable supplements available on DMs Guild and leave a review. Though we feature content from DMs Guild quite frequently on this show, for those of you who are not quite aware of what it is, it's a Waterdeep-esque marketplace that features supplements that can be used in your D&D game for both players and DMs alike. James is a DMs Guild adept, which means that he is extremely talented, needless to say, at what he does. So much so that Wizards of the Coast puts their stamp of approval on his writings. So be sure to check out everything that he has for sale on there just by searching at DMs Guild for James Intracasso, as well as the few measly supplements that we have to offer there for a dollar. So please leave a review. And that is all I have before I move into Ally Assist. I'm arguing a minus one for Jethro here. He Mm. does not have many friends in prison and has been out of contact with the outside world for quite a while thanks to his imprisonment. However, he does supply the prison guards with an endless supply of potato moonshine. So there is that. He also has Crown of Madness so that if, you know, anybody is attacking a fellow inmate, you know, he he can take the focus away from them. What do you think about minus one? I think minus one makes sense. Let me ask you a question. You you referenced the prison guards. Are the prison guards, this is just my curiosity, are they his adventuring party as well? Is this like a Hogan's Heroes type situation where when he needs to adventure, the guards sort of like take him out, they go on an adventure together, and then they put him back in the cell? Is that what's going on here? Because so I love of, this idea. <laughs> we kind of, I, I like that as well. We kind of set this up as a plot hook that this adventurer at level 10 is going to have to break out of prison and will have murdered a few people and then we'll be ready to adventure <laughs> through Waterdeep. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, that's uh, that's another way to go, too. I like that. <laughs> we set up our own little plot hook there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, minus one is totally fine with me because I 
am arguing for a plus two. Uh, oh, so, no. Yeah. Well, you know, guys, I'm a bard. Like, let's <laughs> let's be real, right? This is what the bard does. This is where they shine. Because I've got your bardic inspiration. As mm-hmm. aforementioned, I've got your healing word, your aura of vitality from being a lore bard, getting those sweet, sweet spells from other spell lists. I've got the song of rest. I've got the counter charm. I've got dissonant whispers, which I'm just going to keep hopping on this dissonant whispers trains. It is great. You know, you all have it too. You should argue for it as well. It is a spell that really helps your allies because it forces enemies to run away from you, but it's not forced to movement, and therefore everybody gets opportunity attacks when they run away. Plus, I've got that greater invisibility, which if there's a rogue in the party, casting that on the rogue really changes the game uh, completely. I'm arguing for plus two because it's bard town over here, and that's how I roll. Okay. (laughs) Deep sigh for those that you were not able to hear that on the show. I think I'm actually going to try and needle you down to a plus one because there wasn't anything too juicy there. I mean, Order of Vitality was nice because you pulled that from another spell list. But Mm -hmm. otherwise, we all kind of saw that coming with the Bard. So that would be my argument if I was taking on Dan is that I kind of anticipated that argument. So your argument is that we didn't take a Bard? (laughs) (laughs) My argument is that that was a very Bard ally assist category. This you were stage looking of... for some surprise, some panache. Yeah! Gotcha. That's what I got, Dan. I'll back it up. Anything to bring it down from a plus two is fine by me. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there that you wouldn't have known about our vitality would have been a surprise if I hadn't been tricked into revealing it during the tankiness round, which I think was just a dirty, dirty trick, Garen. Garen, he catches on quick. <laughs> you telling me I'm a cheater and you got your cha-cha slide dad sword? <laughs> You know what? I think just like that dad sword, you're not too sharp. Oh, oh, coming in. Look at those dissonant whispers he's got. I think that was a vicious mockery at best. best. Uh, That's true. (laughs) I'm going to say he has a point there, Garen. He, He wouldn't have revealed those healing spells without your trickery. I don't think there's any way out of this plus two. Fine. But you know what, James? In this audio medium, you better keep a poker face from now on. All right? Keep your cards close to your chest. Boom. I've learned my lesson. I appreciate your generosity. Uh, it's <laughs> it's very important to me uh, because balance is the next category. And spoiler alert, I'll be asking for a plus two there as well. Yeah, he's a bard. So listen, I'm going to right out of the gate and we're going to start with the bad. I've got an eight in strength, but you know what? Don't need it. You know why? I've got the 14 in dex. I've got the 16 in constitution. I've got tens in intelligence and wisdom, and I've got a 20 in charisma. I am proficient in 10 out of 18 skills, two of which have expertise, and I have jack of all trades in the other skills. I've got that aforementioned 19 armor class. I've got the aforementioned 110 hit points. I'm proficient in four musical instruments, people, plus thieves tools and an alchemist kit. I'm proficient in all weapons and all armor except for heavy. Uh, Plus, I think I've demonstrated that I've got a nice balance of burninating and control spells going on here. I am, after all, a vigilante, and sometimes I have to work alone like Batman. So that is where I am going. Those four musical instruments, by the way, it's the lute, it's the panpipes, it's the dulcimer, and it's the bagpipes, okay? That is a balanced range of musical instruments if I've ever heard one. So that is why I'm arguing for a plus two. 
One could argue that one would need a strength of greater than eight to hold those bagpipes up. <laughs> well, see, because that the hex blade, they count as weapon for me, because sometimes I hit people with them. So I'm using my charisma to hold them up. That's, oh. uh, that's how that works. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> when are you going to falter? <laughs> I love the argument. Plus two. <laughs> what a good freaking argument. He just ran through everything. I, and he didn't oh. even bat an eyelash. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, we are arguing, you know what? Screw it. We're arguing a plus two. This is oh, a really right. controlling character. Not much damage dealing, but the Druid and Warlock is a cool mix here. We got the Strength of 11, Dex of 15, Con of 13, Intelligence of 11, Wisdom of 16, and Charisma of 13. We've got five proficiencies because we're not a bard. We are proficient in light, medium armor, shields, all the weapons. Herbalism kit, very useful. We've got four languages... And this is more than I've ever done in my balance argument because I'm just trying to keep pace with you, James. Uh, yeah, how many musical instruments are you proficient with? I'm just checking. <laughs> how many? <laughs> oh, it's all coming down to that. No, none. But we do speak Aquin, which is very useful. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, you know, I understand. I only speak three languages, so uh, so I do feel. Oh, I forgot to mention my proficiency in vehicles, land too. Ugh. Yeah. I, you know, you've got some pretty pretty even stats there, but sounding more like a plus one to me. I don't, you know, like if if the bar for plus two is where I am, you're definitely on the next rung of the ladder. Yeah, he's uh, up he's up in Sharn looking down <laughs> at that stacked city. He's looking down at us over here. <laughs> that is consistent with what our sheet says, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that plus one. But moving into the smooth operator scenario for this week, it was submitted to us by our patron. Ben Potts, it reads, You are swiping left a lot on Fantasy Tinder, as one does, and find someone who is a perfect match for you. Their picture is obviously a fake, though. And they have some pretty similar interests, similar taste in music, and even a fondness for that pizza topping that you like that no one else does. So you decide to give it a try. You swipe right, you arrange to meet him at the Fantasy Starbucks, and it's been a while since you were on a fantasy date, so you go ahead and scope out the place a little bit before waltzing in because you don't want to get yourself into a scenario you, you might regret. Maybe you have the party wizard send in an arcane eye and see who's waiting for you. Well, turns out there's a good reason why their picture was faked. They're a mind flayer. And if you remember your history correctly, that means they probably want to get you alone and eat your brains. How do you handle this situation? And let me tell you how Jethro would. He uses darkness in the back alley behind that fantasy Starbucks and waits until one of the baristas walks out with the garbage. And while they're confused, he sneaks in the back and puts on an apron. He then walks out as a barista and starts casting friends on everyone he sees to come off as the most ingratiating of employees. When the Mind Flayer orders, Jethro casts Detect Thoughts, that's right, on a Mind Flayer, which the Mind Flayer would immediately recognize, but Jethro uses his beguiling influence to deceive and persuade the Mind Flayer that he only wanted to see if he could speak telepathically as a sign of respect. This is all a ruse to put the Mind Flayer at ease. When he brings the Mind Flayer his order, he purposefully writes the wrong name on the cup. This happens again and again, no matter how clearly the Mind Flayer spells out his name. Meanwhile, Jethro uses Misty Vision to cast Silent Image of a line forming behind the Mind Flayer. The back and forth continues until the Mind Flayer gets frustrated that he's holding up the line and storms out to file a complaint with corporate, which will call for another afternoon of ethics training for all fantasy Starbucks employees. <laughs> We're arguing a plus two here. <laughs> 
Nice pop culture reference. That was real good. Uh, you know, I, I like a good, silly plan. Uh, I think that's what urban intrigue and urban adventures are all about. So I'm not going to argue this plus two uh, because I want to encourage more silliness like this. Uh, so yeah, definitely. I also so like the use of friends because you're going to have a lot of people real mad at you after that. Uh, but I think that only helps your strategy then because you've got angry people in line. So what kind of silliness does Yubnub have in this category? Okay, so Yubnub, he is a smooth operator. Uh, he would first use change appearance. Uh, so, so far, our strategies are kind of similar, except that the way change appearance is written at the moment uh, for 5th edition is you don't need to become a humanoid. You can become anything. So he would use change appearance to become a mind flare. He would use his deception, you know, just skill-based, no magic, because you don't want those mind flares to catch on, to make the mind flare really believe, like, hey, I'm a mind flare, and say, hey, listen, I just wanted to eat somebody's brain too. Isn't this crazy? What a romantic comedy situation we find ourselves in here. <laughs> then we begin a relationship. It's a mind flare relationship. So it's all in the mind, all right? You pervs, there's no gross stuff happening. Wait, so uh, there's no rubbing, there's no rubbing tentacles or anything going on? I'm, there might be a little like a little tentacle touch, but mind flares don't reproduce that way. It's actually real gross the way they reproduce. It's um, through baby. the eye, isn't it? Yeah, they take like a little baby mind flare and shove it in a human's eye and then it turns them into a mind flare. Yeah. But so there wouldn't be a you know, no no hand stuff, maybe a little tentacle action. But luckily as a changeling, I could actually grow a, a tentacle like that and make that happen. And then I would start to use my spells. Once once we've got the trust in there, that's when I'm using major image spells to make sure that he really falls for Yubnub, right? I'm talking about like making it look like the room is filled with flowers, Tasha's hideous laughter to make him laugh at my jokes, make me think I'm funny. Eventually we're really getting into it. My honeyed words, my deception. It's starting to make him think because I've got expertise in deception. I'm making him think like, we really trust each other. And that's when I say to him, hey baby, I think you should be the elder brain, right? This is months into the relationship here in the Underdark. <laughs> Playing the long game. Yeah, I start to manipulate him with my charisma skills and my suggestion spells, and that's when I tip off the elder brain, right before the plan goes into effect. I say, yo, elder brain, there's a rebellion brewing, and that's when my new BF strikes. There's a massive battle, and there are no survivors. And that's how we go, smooth operator style. We make it happen from the inside. I'm arguing for a plus one because a lot of the things that I'm talking about are quite the stretch, uh, and I'm not <laughs> sure every DM would allow it. Uh, but that's I would I would play the long game, make him fall in love with me, and then convince him to turn on the elder brain so he died. I love that you're going to catfish this guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is fantastic. He deserves it. Okay, he was trying to catfish I think me. The biggest weakness to your argument is that you're going to have several sessions of just you and the DM and this romantic relationship with the mind flayer. You're going to have to go on all these dates, and the rest of the players are going to be like, when are we getting back to the adventure? You're like, guys, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's, I think the party comes in at the end, and they sort of clean up what's left of this massive rebellion, right? But yeah, we would definitely need to do some sort of montage sequence so that it didn't take session after session of play. I agree. <laughs> I'm all right with a plus one. I would have definitely given a plus two for the reverse catfish. Plus one for the long <laughs> game, for sure. Now, James, how would you handle this aggressively? I would, and I have to admit, this was already written down here, but I would use change appearance to become a barista 
in the place. And then I would use my alchemist kit to mix up a little potion pour that into his coffee, and then I would start the counter charm, right? So as our boy gets poisoned here, I'm using the counter charm because that's going to help shield everybody from his domination abilities, and then boom, I hit myself with a little greater invisibility, and then I start hitting him with my dancing rapier and my eldritch blast, which have the repelling blast feature to keep him at bay. So I'm blasting him all the way out the shop. He can't hit me with his psionic abilities because I'm real far. Then, right before he plane shifts, which is the thing we know mind flares can do and I'm like oh no he's gonna get away because uh, let me tell you something about Yubnub he doesn't leave any survivors right you know how Batman ties up people for the cops that's not Yubnub style Yubnub is is leaving corpses for the cops Yubnub then right before the plane shift happens he hits him with heat metal why because mind flares wear breastplates and heat metal once you cast it the range becomes unlimited. I did look this up. The range is just for the casting of the spell. So even if he plane shifts away, heat metal's still in effect, and he burns to death in his other plane of existence if he wants to go there. Oh, uh, super so aggressive. I'm, yeah, I'm arguing a plus two for my aggressive spitting fire. I mm. gotta tell you, though, now that you've pulled back the curtain that you leave no survivors, Yubnub <laughs> is not Batman. I think Yubnub <laughs> is just both of the brothers of Boondock Saints put together. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's the Punisher, but he's he's the, the Punisher with the key to the city. The Punisher with bagpipes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Bagpipe Punisher, coming soon to a theater <laughs> near you. Uh, that will be actually my next DM's Guild supplement, <laughs> Bagpipe Punisher. <laughs> uh, uh, no argument so I'm, here. I, I yeah. love it. Heat metal in a different plane is super aggressive, so I love it. So our aggressive approach here is going to be very short and sweet. We're arguing a plus two, and I think it's now... We've seen that all four of these, none of us are approaching this mind fair directly as ourselves because Jethro would wild shape into a crocodile. Oh. He'd scope out the Starbucks a little bit more from a distance, and then he would cast Stinking Cloud, which would have to come from the crocodile's butt because of the way we've been reskinning all of this. <laughs> so the creatures that are in the cloud must make a con save. On the failed save, they start retching. It lasts a minute, and that's that's it. It's, it's the simple little plan. Well, He's going to yeah, we're just trying smoke to fart him, out the We're just Starbucks. trying to fart him out. <laughs> That is Swamp Ass, the Jethro I, move. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, listen, I just want you all to know, I can hear your critics now saying, but you can't cast a spell when you're in wild shape. But you know what? I don't care, because it wouldn't matter which order you did it in, and this is the way more entertaining way. And I've been waiting since the start of the podcast for you all to tell me when you turn into a crocodile. So plus two <laughs> is totally fine with me. You saved it for the best possible moment. And also, I think I won. So I'm really fine with the plus two. Great work, dude. You I seem love to it. be good at rudimentary math. <laughs> <laughs> More than I can say. I never know what the score is at the end of these things. But before we get to the score, James, we'd like to do this thing called the X Factor. It's an unscored category. And it's basically, would you play Yubnub? Yes, absolutely. I would play Yubnub, um, and I think it would be real fun to play uh, with a with a whole party of changelings. That's sort of my my dream party is everybody turning into different people, and then you can also have these sort of X Men style just back at the mansion sessions uh, where you're all talking about how hard it is and you don't know what your identity truly is and that sort of thing. Um, so yes, I would a hundred percent play Yubnub. Uh, I think it would be super super fun, and I hope others would want to play Yubnub as well. Uh, would you guys play Yubnub? I think that's a good question. 
Well, Garen and I love the changeling um, out of the new Eberron supplement, and so it is fair to say that I definitely would. Oh my gosh, yes, including this fantastic dad dancing sword. <laughs> Great stuff going on here. I would absolutely play Yubnub. Excellent. Well, how about you guys, would you play your character as well? Because I know farting swamp gas is like, I I love the way everything has been reflavored. I think it's awesome. I would definitely play that character. (laughs) Well, thank you. And, and, you know, we collaboratively created this character, uh, as we said, at our event at Smash Comics and Games uh, on July 28th. And we were pretty certain that the crowd was going to uh, force our hand into making either like a rogue or, uh, you know, something rather predictable when we gave him the urban intrigue theme. But once we started diving into the backstory and started collaborating on, on this backstory, uh, it became clear that they wanted a magical farmer that was kidnapped by Xanathar and would use uh, magical means to escape prison. So this made for like a really fun build. Um, and honestly, when, when we were given this theme, I was certainly not anticipating that we would have a druid by the end of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> absolutely, I would play this character. There's a lot of fun role play opportunities, and I love Battlefield Control personally, uh, thus why it had so much of it. Yeah, and I really think it does go to show that if you're playing an urban entry adventure, don't shy away from your druids, your rangers, your barbarians, right? People who wouldn't be found there. Being able to tell that sort of fish out of water story is super fun or thinking of ways to reflavor those powers to become a sewer ridden prisoner is also another <laughs> really, really great way to do it. So I think there's a, a lesson to be, to be learned, uh, which is uh, you can really have a lot of fun doing uh, the weird thing uh and the weird thing is always great well put and james that sort of knowledge has obviously carried you to a very comfortable victory in the lab (laughs) this week as you were anticipating you have beat us 12 to 5 it was close (laughs) that's true it's true plus it was revealed (laughs) later i could have argued for some more plus twos in other places uh so I was trying real hard to go for that D&D character lab record, but maybe I will return one day because I can say <laughs> I am still undefeated. Woo. Uh, Garen, has anyone ever gotten a 12 in the lab? <laughs> I don't keep track of our show. I don't even know what episode we're on. <laughs> True. We'll check the wiki. We'll check the wiki. We'll make sure <laughs> check. it's a... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, 12 is very, very high. So, you know, you did a fantastic job. Your arguments were really fun and really concise. Great job, James. Thank you for being on the lab. Uh, we hope you had fun. And I had a ton of fun. You, thank you so much. Uh, this was awesome. Well, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And do you want to tell us about anything else that's coming out of your own lab in the coming weeks and months? What's going on with Tabletop Battle? What's going on with uh, everything else you're working on? So there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So by the time this podcast launches... I actually have an original role-playing game system that's coming out that I designed with a team uh, for Roll20. So it is for exclusively for play on the Roll20 virtual tabletop platform. It is something that I've been working on uh, for uh, like the last year uh, with a lot of really cool people, uh, a game designer named Jim McClure, Kat Cole uh, from the Campaign Podcast, also a great game designer, and Darcy Ross is another great game designer. She works for Monty Cook Games. We all put this together. Roll20 asked us to uh, come create this for them. Uh, And so that is coming out. It is called Burn Bright. Bright is spelled B-R-Y-T-E. It is a science fantasy role-playing game that takes place in space. And the idea is the Big Bang has started to reverse itself. And now there is this one little galaxy left that this entire existence-eating phenomenon is slowly 
closing in around. Um, so that is the plot. Nobody knows where it comes from or, or really what it is or what happened. And that's the plot. And it is high action, high octane, high fun adventuring in a universe that is coming to an end. So that's the big thing that is coming up that we haven't talked about yet. In addition, uh, when Waterdeep Dragon Heist comes out, I have a few DMs Guild supplements that will be coming out for that, uh, that I'm working on a couple with a couple of the other adepts on, including, we mentioned there are four villains. Uh, I am putting out a supplement that adds a fifth villain choice uh, to the game. That person is a little shape-changery, uh, and that's all I will say for now about that. Uh, but this was amazing, and thank you so much for having me on. Y'all should check out what Dan and Garen have also put on the DMs Guild, because it is really great. Um, <laughs> and when you do buy it, make sure you go rate it. Uh, but thank you both for having me on. Uh, this has been amazing. Thank you, James. You're a really busy guy. You have a lot of great stuff, so thank you for taking the time. Now, if our listeners want to learn more about you, uh, why don't you just give us some plugs for your websites as well as social media handles so that they can stay up to date on all of the awesome stuff that you have uh, with your conjuration magic. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, it's worldbuilderblog.com uh, is where you can read where I blog about stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of free 5th edition uh, options I put up there. Uh, Don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com is where you can find my podcast as well as a bunch of other awesome role-playing game related podcasts. And you can also check out twitter.com slash jamesintracasso uh, for randomness. Uh, mostly pictures of my dog. Uh, so yeah, that is where I will be. <laughs> <laughs> you have a very friendly looking dog. Your dog loves you, obviously. Oh, yes. Yeah. She loves everybody. Uh, as long as you're not another dog, um, she will jump <laughs> on your lap and lick your face. But man, she will murder, straight up murder other dogs, even though she's only like 16 pounds. So thank you. Yeah, she's great. So like the Elaine Bennis of dogs. It's a dog that hates other dogs. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That is a great reference. That, I'm going to use that from now on. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. That's great stuff that you got going on there. And to wrap up our show, we got a few updates of our own. Number one, at the same time that this episode drops, we are also going to be releasing another item on DMs Guild. It's going to be Denizens of the Beastlands, where we have got five new playable races with some lore and some subclasses for some anthropomorphic animal creatures that live in the Beastlands. We've also got all of our other DMs Guild supplements on there. Everything is a buck or less spread shirt with our min max ability score shirts the link is in the show notes and on patreon if you want to join us today at the five dollar and up level you will have access to six fight club episodes and six monster lab bonus episodes and if you want more information on all the bonuses we offer on patreon please visit patreon.com slash character lab that about wraps things up for this week, Lab Rats. A big thank you again to our guest this week, James Intracasso. And as always, Lab Rats, just remember, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the D&D Character Lab Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DND Character Lab. Or shoot us an email at dndcharacterlab at gmail.com. Most importantly, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app.